Well, hello, Living Hope, those of you who are in this space, those who are on the, in the patio, those who are at home watching now or later on. We're taking a break from our uh, sermon series on the book of Hebrews, and in this month of December, we're going to be tracking our Advent series, and whatever passages that are listed in the Advent uh, block uh, devotionals, that's what we're going to be talking about. I don't know about you, but my family, my wife and me and my daughter at home, we've been going through the Advent devotional. It's been wonderful to have a visual reminder of stories um, that eventually lead to Christ. And so this is what we're doing. I don't know about you. So we're doing the, the King is Coming, which is uh, the ones that we've recommended for families. This is the one that comes with the little blocks, and we have the blocks on our fireplace. And every evening we read the devotional, and and we have um, our our adult daughter Janice, and she turns it over, and she actually pretends she's our grandson, and with the little teddy bear. So, it's wonderful. Um, but we also read the adult devotional. Also, he is here, and we're finding that this is actually more appropriate for us, uh, for our family. And so you might consider actually doing a mixture of both in that um, you can try this out because especially if your kids are in catapult, they may relate to this version better, has a lot of reflective questions and sharing and prayer requests and things of that nature. Uh, but if you're single or if you um, think that, well, you know, the, the other version is for the families, well, I think that having the little blocks as a visual reminder is wonderful. And so... We have a few of these left for free uh, out there. If they run out, the PDF version is always available. Uh, we have a few of these left. We're, um, we're reducing the, the cost to $5 so that you can give it away. Um, so, so if you would just like, pick those up. I'd love to see all those out by the, the end of today. Um, you know, one of the things as we read... Uh, these stories of the Old Testament characters is this, that we think of the Old Testament spirit, um, patriarchs as spiritual heroes, uh, men and women who are virtuous pro uh, publicly as well as privately. These are the people whom we want to emulate or we want our children to become like. That's why uh, so many of your parents named you uh, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, Joseph, and so on. We want them to be the kind of people that we want our kids to grow up into. But to be honest, most of us, when we tell our story, and if, we, if I asked you your story, a lot of us are hesitant because we feel like our stories, my story, is just not worthy, that I am too broken, me, my family and my situation, that I am more dysfunctional, I am more inadequate, uh, I have flaws that, that cause me not to be significant in God's eyes, nor to be used significantly in God's eyes. So, uh, I want to say to you, first of all, that the Old Testament heroes, so-called, are not as flawless as you think. Let me give you uh, a, a, a small glimpse of Jacob's grandparents and parents. Uh, Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, he was the father of faith, and he's married to Sarah. And we normally think of them as super spiritual people with a great marriage. 
I don't know if you recall, Abraham was married to Sarah. They went into a new town, and the king of that town took a particular liking to Sarah because she was beautiful, and the king inquired uh, of her through Abraham, who is this woman that you're traveling with? Abraham, he confesses this exactly why he did it, was afraid that the king would want his wife so much that he would kill the husband, and so he half lied. So Abraham, in order to protect his own life, left his wife vulnerable to rape. He, he really did not man up. Now, Abraham and Sarah, as they were growing older, they were promised by God that they would have a son, but they didn't. And so, so desperate, this is what Sarah did. Hey, hey, we have a, a living a servant, a maid who works for us. Abraham, why don't you sleep with her and have a son, and we can adopt that son? Um, and so he does that, and, and Hagar has a son named Ishmael, and you think that that would solve the problem until Sarah herself um, becomes pregnant, and she has a baby, and now Hagar and Ishmael are competition. They're, they're a problem. It's like a, a bad Korean drama. What do you do? And so Abraham and Sarah decide to send them out to abandon them. Abraham, the great patriarch of the faith, uh, abandoned throughout his own biological son. And, and if you read that story from yesterday, she, Hagar uh, weeps with her son knowing that they're going to die and he can't, she can't even be near her. Him because he didn't want, she didn't want to see her own biological son die. The, the son that Abraham and Sarah has, his name um, is uh, Isaac. Isaac was told by God that he would have a pair of uh, twins, and but uh, the younger will, uh, the, the older will serve the younger, meaning that the, the promise that God gave to Abraham of the line will come through the younger son. But when, when Isaac had his twin boys, Esau the older and Jacob the younger, it says that, that uh, Jacob loved the older son, the more athletic son more. He completely played favor um, with his son. And the mom, Rebecca, favored Jacob more. And you, the parents are just setting their kids up for failure. Now, at a particular point in time, Jacob, when he came, when he was old enough, decides, you know, I'm, I'm tired of not being favored by my dad. I, I think I should have the favored status. And so when the dad was really, really old in the retirement age, he's so old he can't see. He's gone blind. Mom teams up with Jacob in order to completely deceive the father, Isaac. And they eventually also steal from the older brother Esau. This gets Esau so angry, he vows to kill Jacob, his own brother. And mom sends Jacob off to her older brother's town, Laban's home. Can you imagine um, Isaac, the, the elderly, uh, Rebecca, the wife who lied, who helped lie and cheat to her husband to her son living now the rest of her lives there. What a dysfunctional home 
that must have been. So Jacob now is sent off to live with her, um, his uncle Laban. And that's where we are going to find ourselves in Genesis chapter 29, verse 15. Genesis chapter 29, verse 15. That's the passage that we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at it in three parts. Broken heroes, um, broken idols, and the whole story. So Jacob arrives at his mom's older brother's place, Laban, and he works for him for about a month. And Laban quickly realizes that his nephew, uh, Jacob, is a, a very productive worker. And so after that month, Laban says to his nephew, hey, I don't want you to work for free. What is your wage? How, how much do you want to get paid now, Jacob was dirt poor. He has nothing. He ran away from home in order to, to save his own life. And so here is where in chapter 29, verse 15, uh, 16, we're introduced to the daughters. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Two daughters, uh, Leah and Rachel. Nothing significant here except for the next sentence, and it defines the two ladies. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, we don't know what it means to have weak eyes, but we don't think it means that she had poor vision, but rather in contrast to Rachel, who was beautiful in face and in body, that Leah was not beautiful in face or body, that she was an ugly duckling. It says that uh, Jacob, who had nothing, and he was poor, uh, doesn't have a dowry, and negotiates with Uncle Laban. I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And he does so because it says in verse 18, he loved Rachel. Uh, and by the way, I, 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 I know it's a little bit weird, but let me get some cultural things out of the way here. In that particular culture, people married cousins. People had multiple wives. People had uh, servants who act as surrogates um, to give babies and things of that nature. So just kind of like get that out of the way so we can um, continue with the story. So here's Jacob uh, um, living in this home and... There was Rachel, whom he thought was just really beautiful. He wanted to marry her. I want to let you know that normally when we think about the story, we're talking all about adults, but Rachel at this particular time was 15 years old. She was a sophomore in high school. I know. <laughs> and so he wants to marry this girl whom he thought was, was beautiful. Leo was probably like a junior and senior in high school at this time. And so he negotiates, I'll work for you. I don't have the dowry. I'll work for you for seven years if I can marry her at the end. And so it says, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. You know, it, it, it's like that drama where he loves her and, and the, the background music and time is passing and this teenage girl is growing up and he's working hard on the field. He comes home and he sees the love of his life at home and it's all worth it because, you know, Rachel's beautiful in face and form, right? And seven years pass and it seems like just nothing to him. Everything here so far sounds uneventful until 
verse 21, um, seven years had passed, and Jacob demands that he uh, give me my wife so that I can sleep with her. And so the wedding takes place. The wedding in that particular culture took a week, a, a one-week um, celebration. The whole town was, is here. A lot of alcohol was flowing. And it climaxes to the, 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 the day in which the bride is given to the groom. And she comes fully veiled. Groom completely now drunk. Verse 23 but in the evening, Laban took his daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob. Uh, and, and for those of you who are familiar with this Bible story, you know this. You, you had this coming. But for those of you who didn't know, uh, Laban had promised Rachel so how Jacob understood. But it was Leah who was brought into the bedchamber. And the completely drunk Jacob now, it says, went into her. Jacob thought he was marrying Rachel, but Laban brought a veiled older sister to a drunk groom, and the groom sleeps with her, and in that particular culture, that's marriage. They've now been married. He cannot simply send her away. And in an understatement, verse 25, in an understatement of the family lore, it says, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. He, he, he opens his eyes in the first morning of his married life. He, he thinks, wow, I'm so happy. I, fi I finally married the love of my life. He turns toward his bride, opens his eyes, and he has realized, I married the wrong woman. Behold, it was Leah. I think this is one of the saddest scenes in all of the Bible. The dysfunctions, the sin, the brokenness of the, the, the extended family of Jacob, Rebecca, Laban, all rolling into this one moment. And, and the person who's bearing the weight of all that sin is Leah. I, I cannot imagine how sad she must have felt at that moment. I, I, I imagine there was a part of her who was hoping that maybe her husband would simply accept the situation and accept her and learn to love her. But behold, it was Leah. We get on to the next session, section, broken idols. What caused Leah's father to do what he did? After uh, Jacob realized that he married the wrong person, he goes and, and demands uh, Laban for an answer. And Laban answers, well, um, it is not custom in our culture to marry the younger daughter off before the older daughter. You should have read the fine print, Jacob. And after all, if you read the, 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 the interaction between Laban and Jacob, Laban actually doesn't say, I will give my younger daughter to you after seven years. 
says, I would, you know, it, it's good that we keep it in the family. It's something like that. He kept it vague. Now, I want you to rem- uh, think about this. Jacob had conspired with his own mom to lie and cheat their, his father and his brother. And that same mom sent him to her older brother. And it is that older brother who is now deceiving him. The master deceiver has now been deceived. He's married the wrong woman. What caused Laban to do what he did? Some may think that it was because perhaps Laban wanted his older daughter to marry first, as is the custom. And so he manipulated the situation in that way. I don't believe so, because if he did it really simply to have his older daughter marry there would have been a better way, even with Jacob. But the interaction between Laban and Jacob reveals Laban's hands. Why? And so, well, it's because it's not the custom. And he explains and, and they negotiate and Laban says, well, knowing that he, Jacob loves his Um, younger daughter, desperately, he negotiated and said, you can work for me for another seven years and you can have Rachel also. I want you to think about that. I think it reveals Laban's motivation. Laban wasn't motivated out of a love for his daughter, but rather he was motivated by the fact that Jacob was a productive worker and he can make a lot more money. So he's, he manipulated the situation so that Jacob would work another seven years. He essentially sold his daughter off for a profit, is I think what happened. I want you to think about the progression of Leah's life, how it had been unfolded to us. Verse 16, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and face. Verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you uh, for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Verse 30, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. By the time we get to verse 31, the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Can you imagine Leah every step of the way becoming sadder and sadder, her soul just being crushed by a a father who should have held her And to tell her, no, honey, you are beautiful. Don't let anyone say otherwise. You're beautiful. I can imagine, though, the conversation that she had with her father. But, Dad, why are you doing this? And Laban saying to Leah, no, no, you you have to marry this way. No one else will want to marry you, honey. And after all, this will help the family. Just be quiet and do what I tell you. But dad, I I can't. No, honey. To be married to someone who on the 
the, the morning after the wedding looks at you and says, this is a big mistake. Goes to your father and say, why did you do this to me? To the point where every time he looked at her, he despised her. For seven more years, he was working, and she's saying, well, it's because of you. To have a sister whom you love, because she's your sister, but perhaps not any fault of her own, she becomes competition, a constant reminder to you, and you live together in the same house, share the same husband, that you're just not good enough compared to her. What a horrible situation to be in. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm still so upset at Laban. I, 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 don't, I just don't understand how a father can do that to his daughter. If I see him in heaven, I'm just going to slap inside of his head and say, what were you thinking, man? What were you thinking? How could you do that to her? her his motivation was profit, though. What was Leah's motivation? What, do you, what does a woman do when she, her father sells her off for money, when her husband hates her, her sister has become a living reminder that she is unlovable? Remember the, the kind of people that you would go to when, in moments of insecurity and pain. The people that you would go to to tell you that you're valuable and, and beautiful. Your father, your sister, your husband, they're all telling you otherwise. What do you do at that point? Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. There was one thing that Leah did better than Rachel. She could have babies. And in that particular culture, one of the most useful things that a woman could do is to bear children, especially boys. And that's what Leah can do. And, and, and she, I think she realized that this is how I find value and significance in who I am. This is, whom, this is the only thing that I can do in which my husband would look at me and say, I find value in that. That even her sister would say, you're better that, at me than in that. And so, verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. And so she begins to name her sons after uh, the longings that she has in her heart. As a reflection of what she's, what she's desperate for. And so she names him, hey, come here, Reuben. And Reuben says, uh, someone has seen you. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and, and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me the son also. And she called his name Simeon. Hey, Simeon, hey, Simeon. And, and that name reminded her that someone has heard your tears. Verse 34, and she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi, and Levi reminded her that, uh, um, that she desired to be attached, to have affections, to be loved, to be seen, 
to be heard, to be attached. Those things which she did not have, she named her son as potentially a, a way to compensate that perhaps her husband will see me, hear me, and love me. Let me round out this baby story. Um, and, and we're going to look at a little uh, a chart up there, a family chart. So Jacob is there in the middle, and um, Leah was, uh, Rachel's the, the woman, whom, the wife that he loved, and Leah was uh, the wife that he got. Um, and then in that particular culture, uh, oftentimes uh, a servant would be given. And so Rachel had Bilhah, um, and then Leah had Zilpah. So through Leah, um, uh, we had Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And then they had a fourth, Judah. And then after that, uh, Rachel thought, you know what? I, I can't be second fiddle here. So um, Jacob sleep with my servant, Bilhah, and they had Dan and Naphtali, number, boy number five and number six. And then Leah uh, wanted to uh, up the game a little bit, so he gave Zilpah to Jacob, and they had boy number seven and eight, Gad and Asher. And then Leah got, gets a second win and has Asher, number nine, Zebulun, number 10. By the way, I know, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> son number one, Reuben, eventually loses his number one status because he has an affair. Do you know who he has an affair with? Bilha. I know. I know. It's, it's, it's nuts, right? There's some other things in there, and, and that's so rated R, I'm not going to tell you, all right? <laughs> after, after 10 boys, and there are daughters too, but we only know about one daughter's name, but we're, sh we're sure there are other daughters. Um, Rachel finally gives birth to Joseph, the Joseph, the Joseph, the son that uh, Rachel and Jacob have all been waiting for. The woman whom she, he loves finally bears him a son, Joseph. And so Jacob dotes on him, gives him the, the colored uh, outfit, gives him favorite status. No, no, you don't work the field. Let the other boys do. You can understand why Jacob loved Joseph so much, and you can understand why Laban's boys hated Jacob, uh, Joseph. Because of your, you, your mom, ma, our mom was so unloved. It makes a lot of sense. A final tragedy. Rachel has another boy. His name was Benjamin. When did Jacob lose his, the love of his life? The day that Benjamin was born. She died giving birth to Benjamin. Um, this is the family tree. Both Laban and Leah were striving after something. Laban was striving after money. Leah was striving after uh, affection, love. And she sought it through maybe having children. That if I had one more son, he would see me. If I had one more son, he would hear me. If I had one more son, he would be attached to me. That's the only thing I can do, have babies, and I'll just keep doing so. 
but none of it would satisfy. Now, let's go to the next section, the whole story. Before we try to figure out what is really the moral of the story, what is it that God is trying to tell us? What is it that God was trying to tell Leah? Let me, um, and, and I learned this from my, my two daughters who were talking yesterday at dinner, that, um, that there are two kinds of TV shows, uh, episodic and serial. So, uh, meaning this, and I kind of knew this, but they clarified it uh, for me. Uh, episodic TV shows is this. Uh, there are shows in which each episode is a self-contained story with a plot. A problem arises at the beginning of the show that uh, finishes or re resolves at the end of the show. Okay? And so, you may have the same characters throughout the, the years, but really, you can watch one episode and, 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 and understand what's going on. Okay? So a show like this, uh, like Seinfeld or Simpsons would be those types of shows. And when we're talking about uh, a, like a, a, a spiritual show, we may, we, we may view that episode and say, well, what's the moral lesson? And so we can if we read the Old Testament stories in this way, we would read the story of David and Goliath and say, well, the problem is Goliath. David conquered, so, the, so that's the end. And so the moral of the story is that even the small boy can conquer giants with faith. That's perhaps the moral of the story. We can read the story of Joseph and we can uh, think, well, the problem is um, uh, Joseph being treated unfairly. And the solution or the resolution is that if you have purity, integrity, at the end, you can have an aha moment with your brothers and, and, and rule the world, right? So that's how we can look at Old Testament stories and if we look at and and and, and we, we, ha, we can be tempted to look at Leah's story in that way now the other way that we can look at uh, a TV show is serially meaning there there's a problem and a resolution but it doesn't happen in the episode but it happens throughout so the problem arises toward the beginning somewhere in the first few episodes and it doesn't resolve until the end of the season somehow and so there's an overarching big story, and individual episodes contribute to telling the whole story. Soap operas or a show like Lost or, or Korean dramas are like that. You can't simply watch an episode and understand. You have to watch the whole thing. And if we try to uh, make sense out of just one episode, you'll probably get it wrong. Now, how ought we to look at Leah's story or Leah's life? Is it simply her story, like an episode? Or is it part of a whole story, like a serial? If it's an episode, let me tell you what we can learn from Leah's life. She was born relatively not as beautiful as her sister. She was given away by her father abandoned by her father. She was in a loveless marriage all her life. And that's how she lived her life. It's a complete tragedy. But I'm here to say that her life was not a tragedy and it's not an episode. It's part of a whole story. Remember, she had three sons, right? Each son she named to express her longing, but the fourth son, do you remember the fourth son's name? What is his name? Judah. Judah. 
And uh, when in verse 35, she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time, this time, and I believe that's a turning point. This time, it's going to be different. This time, I will praise the Lord. And she called his name Judah. Instead of saying, in order to feel significant and valued, I to be heard, to be seen, to be loved. But no, this time I will simply choose to praise the Lord. That I will choose to find my security and significance in God and not my husband, my father, or even my sister. If we now take this one episode and we zoom out a little bit, we begin in Genesis 3 with the problem of sin and death and brokenness. And in one of the last chapters of Genesis, chapter 49, if you kind of remember the story, um, Joseph is sold into slavery. He becomes the second in charge. There's a, a worldwide famine, and the brothers come looking for grain, and uh, eventually he reveals himself and come on over. The whole family moves to Egypt, and in chapter 49, Jacob uh, lays a divine prayer prophecy on each of the sons. In chapter 49, verses uh, Verse 26, he prays for Joseph and how he should be a beautiful bowl, a beautiful, a fruitful bowl by a spring. And may they be on the head of Joseph, on the brow of him who set uh, apart from his brothers. He prays that Joseph will be set apart among his brothers and he will be fruitful. And that all came true. But in chapter 49, verses 8 and 10, Joseph, uh, uh, Jacob prays for another brother, a special brother, Judah in this way. Judah. Your brothers shall praise you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of his people. Uh, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. As if to say that through the line of Judah, God's rule and reign will be that Judah will be the line in which uh, that chosen one will come. And now I, I want us to take um, uh, zoom out even more that from Genesis 29 to Genesis, uh, all of Genesis to the whole Bible in Matthew chapter 1. The, the writer gives a genealogy. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of and you would think that the, the famous character that we know, the, the most prominent of the sons of Jacob was Joseph. But it's not Joseph's name who is listed in the gene genealogy. But rather, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. In verse 12, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And what we see here is this, in this broader whole story, that, that, that this particular story was an episode that's connected to many others. And what unwittingly, what Leah didn't realize was that she would become the mother of the child, Jesus, through her son, Judah, whom she said, but now, this time, I will praise the Lord. You know, um, I'm going to ask the band to come up and uh, 
the elders and pastors to get ready for our communion. Let me ask you a question. What is your story? And I think if we're honest, a lot of our stories, that it's filled with brokenness, dysfunctions, insecurities. Our families are filled with just, just messiness. Our circumstances is so awful that we've hurt other people and others have hurt us. And we think that there, there's no way that God can significantly use me. And so what we try to do is to try to find significance and security through the things that we, can, um, that we idolize. Maybe if I get married, maybe if I have a child, maybe if I get a promotion, maybe if I accomplish this. And we are still looking at just our story, your story. But I want you to see your story in light of the whole story. That you are, that your life, your family is an, an episode, a chapter out of a bigger story that is beautiful and grand and meaningful. It requires a little bit of faith to know that God loves you has a plan for you and is using you in a significant way whether you realize it or not. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus sat with a group of men, the disciples, and, and I know you guys, you're, you're, you're messed up, I know. You're going to betray me. You're going to abandon me. You're going to hurt other people. But I'm going to use you in a significant way. I'm going to use you to help heal the lives of many. And so I want you to take this bread. I want you to take this cup. And I'm going to ask the elders and, and staff to not pass out the elements. If you're here today and if you're not a Christian, I would ask you to observe. If you're here today and, and you're, uh, you're just wrestling with sin, I, I would ask you to, say, uh, to just communicate with the Lord. Lord, I'm not perfect, but Lord, here I am. And by faith, come to the Lord. and wait for us as, and we'll partake of it together. So we come 
we gather together as a church family those who have been hurt and those who have hurt others those who come from messiness and dysfunction and brokenness and Jesus passes the bread as he passes passed the bread to his disciples and he passed the bread to us today would you take off your top layer and take out the wafer this bread was broken for you let's partake together and he passed the cup and said this cup was shed for you my blood was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins let's partake together so Lord Jesus we come broken knowing that our stories is incomplete and we cling on to the whole story the story that was painted by you and you alone we thank you for allowing us to be a part in Jesus name we pray amen would you rise with us? Yeah.